The Lifestylist, episode 81, featuring Evan Brand. I'm Luke Story, a former celebrity fashion stylist and founder of School of Style. For the past 20 years, I've been relentlessly dedicated to my deepest passion, designing the ultimate lifestyle based on the most powerful principles of health and spirituality. The Lifestylist Podcast is a show dedicated to sharing my discoveries and the experts behind them with you. You're listening to episode one of two with Evan Brand. Ladies and germs, what's up? We're back, the Lifestylist Podcast. If you're a longtime listener, thank you so much for tuning back in. If this is your first time here, welcome to the club, homies and homegirls. Today's guest is my friend Evan Brand, who is one of the country's premier podcasters. He's got a podcast called Not Just Paleo, and actually it's grown so much more into a paleo podcast. In fact, in the interview, I asked him how many downloads he's got now, and I think he says... Oh, he stopped counting at 7 million downloads. For a point of reference, uh, as of this recording, I think I'm around 600. So dude's been crushing it. He reaches a lot of ears and there is no accident there because he is a true expert in functional medicine, biohacking, and just creating a beautifully healthy lifestyle. So in this conversation, which ran, I think, a couple hours, this is, of course, a two-part episode, as I love to do. We talk about the following topics in great detail. How to hack the toxic lighting on your computer, all of your devices, and in your home. It turns out the junk lighting that we're exposed to today, you guys, and I'm not being a tinfoil hat guy here. This is like legit science. If you heard my episode with Jack Cruz recently, we talked about this ad infinitum. So this is a real issue. But Evan gives us some very simple, practical things we can do to protect our kids, husbands, wives, families, friends from this uh, nasty lighting that we've got going on in the world today. Also talk about the importance, (laughs) speaking of which, we talk about the importance of being, not being too neurotic and controlling with your health regimens. You know what I'm saying? Like I tend to get a little off the deep end with this stuff. I admit I'm trying to learn how to loosen up. Uh, I'm getting there slowly but surely. And Evan really brings some great perspective to that topic, seeing as he's really devoted his life and his whole income to this field. He's got a very balanced approach. Then how repressed negative emotions are actually worse for you than junk food. Turns out your negative emotions can really screw up your body. And how to heal emotional trauma through myofascial release and other forms of body work. Then we really get into the medicinal herbs and nootropics and smart drugs, which is fun. I love geeking out on the details. So we cover uh, ashwagandha, things like lemon balm, rhodiola, rosea, and then of course the risks of overdosing on herbs when you get a little too excited like I've done on numerous occasions. In terms of nootropics and smart drugs, you know, things that really improve your cognition, memory, focus, mental acuity, all of that. We take a deep dive into the racetams, which are some of my favorites personally. I'm on a bunch right now, as a matter of fact. Otherwise, I'd be a blubbering idiot. Maybe I still am. I don't know. (laughs) It's up to you, the listener. I guess it's subjective. And then we talk about my all-time favorite, which is something called Fenibit, which is really like the best natural high ever. But you got to know how to use it safely. It has potential side effects, and particularly if you use it too often. So we talk about that, but it's a really great, great supplement. I love it. And then um, we talk about things like Siltep 
L-theanine. And then the big question, is coffee really good for you? You know, a lot of health experts are really into coffee and some of them think it's the worst thing ever. It's very polarized in the health community right now in terms of if we should be drinking coffee or not. And Evan leans more on the not side, but gives us some good tips on how to avoid the most toxic types of coffee if we are going to drink it. And then understanding the role hormones and thyroid health play in weight loss, because we talk a lot about ketogenic diets and ketosis and um, how, how women can be thin and ripped on a keto diet and all this stuff. A lot of questions I'm getting about that recently, so we address those. It really comes down to, you guys, a lot of it. It really has to do with getting your hormones and thyroid tested and really going from the inside out, even more so in some cases than like diet and exercise. They all play a part, but if your hormones are jacked, you're going to be very frustrated trying to lose weight, and Evan teaches us why. Then what's the deal with gluten? Is it really that bad? I mean, what does it do to you? He has some scary stats on uh, my old friend gluten, which were really disappointing to hear because I try to avoid it, but every once in a while, you know what I'm saying? And that leads us into the next topic, which is leaky gut. If you don't know what that is, you definitely want to listen to this because I think he says one in three people have it. And if you do, it's going to jack your shit up. So we talk about what leaky gut is, how it affects your body negatively. And of course, because I always want to offer solutions, this isn't a scare tactic show, how do we fix it? And it turns out we really have to deal with our gut infections, parasites, and getting rid of those safely in addition to dealing with heavy metals and various toxins in the body to really heal that gut because the gut, it turns out, is the root of your health. So this is an information-packed episode. Again, thank you for coming back. If you're back to see us again or hear us again, if you're new, welcome. We're dropping bombs like this every week. Every Tuesday, there's a brand new episode and double episodes like this take place on Tuesdays and Fridays. In other words, if an episode's over, say, two hours, I usually split it in half because who really has two hours to sit there, you know? If you, if you put it this way, if you have a two-hour commute, you should find a new job, maybe. That sounds horrible. But uh, anyway, thank you for joining me. I'm really excited to bring you this epic conversation with the genius known as Evan Brand. Evan Brand's an author, teacher, and a functional medicine practitioner who works with clients to help them overcome all sorts of emotional, mental, and physical issues. He's also a host of one of my favorite podcasts. I've been listening to him for a while, so I'm really excited to have him here on the show for you today. Evan Brand, great to see you again, dude. Luke, how's it going? It's going great, man. I hear your voice uh, on your show more and on sometimes on YouTube more than I actually talk to you. So we text sometimes, but it's good to see your mug again, dude. I know, you too. You got some good color, man. You've been getting out in nature, I suppose. You know what? I actually have. I've been getting out in the sun a lot. In fact, I just... I had my windows open uh, a few minutes ago in, in the studio here, which is like my office. And I was like, oh, it's Monday, you know, it's the day before 4th of July. It'll probably be quiet enough. And then my neighbor, like the building right next to me, he's got this crazy like sneeze where he does three in a row. But it's like, it's super, super loud. It irritates the shit out of me. And then he started doing that. And I was like, oh man, I had to shut all the daylight out. So now I'm in like this wacky artificial light in here. You're but gonna yes, have to I, give him some uh, herbal antihistamines. Yeah, I know, dude. Maybe we can talk about that. So yeah, I, but I do. You know what I've been doing a lot? Because I just interviewed Jack Cruz again, as I know you've interviewed him a lot. And now I'm all freaked out about lighting again. The whole We talked for two and a half hours. It was all about how my computer light and the LED lights in the environment are killing me. I was like, oh my God. 
So well, yeah, so if, if you've got Iris on your computer, which let's is far superior about Iris. to Flux. Let's talk, about, let's talk about Flux and Iris. Let's just jump right in there. Yeah. And so, why, first of all, give the listeners some background. Those people that haven't heard my other shows on this, like, what's the problem with staring at your devices? Why, why do we not want to do that just freestyle? Sure. Well, we evolved to wake up to the sun, which is going to set the circadian rhythm. You've got this whole HPA axis that a lot of functional medicine people like myself chat about. So you've got the hypothalamus that talks to the pituitary, which talks to the adrenals. Everyone talks about adrenal issues, but many people don't talk about the influence of light on adrenal health. And so people talk about adaptogenic herbs, which have become very popular, medicinal mushrooms, great. However, many people are ignoring the fact that we're supposed to wake up with sunlight and go to bed after the sun goes down. Or if we mock our ancestors, if we don't go to bed after the sun goes down, at least all we're exposed to would have been fire, which is going to be a pretty low light in terms of intensity, but also low on the spectrum in terms of your Kelvin. I'd say fire is probably maybe 13 or 1500 Kelvin if you were kind of looking at a chart. And Which our Cal- iPhones... Cal- and Kelvin is the temperature of the light from like warm to cool light. Is that right? Exactly. So if you see those really bright LED lights that a lot of new vehicles have, your Beamers, your Teslas, your Lexuses, those are typically like 6,000 Kelvin, which is almost a pure white, maybe even a hint of blue towards it. And that's why they're pretty tough to look at at night, plus they're projectors. So the bulbs are much more intense than your old halogen style bulbs. Um, but in the evenings, when you watch the sunset, and you see the sky turn red and orange and pink, you're not really witnessing uh, the sky turn that color. You are, but in a way, you're, just re- you're, you're watching the removal of blue is what you're really witnessing. And when you remove blue from this full spectrum, which is full spectrum lighting, which is the sun, when you remove blue, you've got all the other spectrums left. When that happens, you've got the optic nerve. It's got something called the supracosmatic nucleus in it, or the SCN. <laughs> I, I love that word. <laughs> I know, isn't it great? So that, yeah. that picks up this light, and then it sends the signal, hey, the day's over, let's start producing melatonin. The problem is, like I mentioned about cortisol, it's a light-driven hormone. And so when you've got smartphones, you've got tablets, you've got LED lights of any kind from your routers, your tablets, your DVRs, etc., even just a small light behind a man's kneecap was enough to suppress melatonin. And so we know that this light at night, even night shift on iPhones, not going to cut it because it doesn't remove all the blue. Night shift is a good start. I'm proud of Apple. I'm proud of the mainstream for heading that direction, but it's not enough. There's still blue. If you chat with Dr. Mercola, he'll tell you that he's tested that with a, I can't remember the fancy name, but it's basically a spectrometer where you can measure the, the frequencies and, and the color temperatures of light. He says that it's better, but just like with F. Lux, which a lot of people have on their computer, there's yeah, still that, massive spikes in the blue range. And that stimulates cortisol. Okay, that's what I'm using now. I looked into the iris thing, we're gonna cover it. So here's what here's what I'm doing is I use night shift and it's just always on night shift, even in the daytime. Perfect. My Instagram probably looks weird on other on other phones because I probably like fil- make filters that you know don't account for that. But I also have the screen. Like I think I have the bulletproof Zentech screen also on my iPhone, just for safekeeping. What do you think about that as a strategy for your phone? I think it's decent. I like Dave. I don't know if that product or any product that's designed to block blue like that actually works. You'd have to test it ultimately, as opposed to take my opinion. You'd have to test that filter and see if it does anything. I'm highly skeptical that it does anything. Um, 
I'm also concerned about the amount of people that are wearing blue blocking glasses all day because that's just completely retarded because you're totally disrupting your circadian rhythm. I've looked at people's adrenal salivary profiles, so their adrenal uh, stress test, and people are screwing themselves up very badly. They've got incredibly low free cortisol because they're wearing blue blockers all day. They're never getting the signal to the brain that it's daytime, so they never have what's called the cortisol awakening response, which is in the first hour of the day when you're supposed to peak. They're never having a peak. So it's like you're waking up with your iPhone charged at 7%. You never plug it in and then you're hoping to make phone calls all day. It's not going to happen. Same thing with your body. If you're not charging up because you're throwing on blue blockers all day because you think blue light's so bad for you, uh, right. you're, you're screwing yourself up royally. Right. So, yeah, I mean, I get blue light on purpose as much as I can. And like in the daytime, I don't wear sunglasses. I'll even like open my sunroof on my car as much as possible, roll the windows down if it's not too smoggy or noisy. But like I want that blue light in my eyes in the daytime because that's when you're supposed to. And all this stuff sounds weird to people. Like my friends bust my balls so much with the, you come in my house at night, it's all amber light. You can't see where the hell you're going. You like bump into the wall. It's so dark. You know, it's just, it's like yeah. the opposite of everywhere else you go. And, you know, of course the blue blocking glasses and all this stuff, but it's like, dude, you don't have to be a scientist to look back a couple million years of evolution, like you said. And that's always where I go back to, to see that the way we live is not, normal and it's not healthy and like the led lights no one even had to tell me that those were bad for me just if i walk in a room like the room i'm in right now i have like an overhead fan that has one of those bright white slash blue led lights the minute i turn that on my brain gets scrambled i mean it's like you can just feel it your biology is going wait what this is non-native light this is an alien light source right Right. Well, and a lot of people, they laugh at the fact, oh, our ancestors, millions of years ago, and they just don't resonate with that. Well, fine. You can resonate with the fact that in 1950s, even half of the farms here in Kentucky, for example, did not have electricity. And so even if we're not talking about going super far back, we could go less than 100 years ago and we could talk about places where the dark night sky still existed. Now we've basically lost the night sky, except for places like Big Bend and uh, Southwest Texas. You've got a few dark places in Arizona, but beyond that, the night sky is pretty much gone. And this is affecting wildlife too. So this is not just humans. This is affecting turtles like down in Florida. You've got all these turtles and especially along the Gulf that they're getting confused now because the turtles typically they're going to head towards the brightest light source, which at night would be the moon pre-electricity, but now they're heading towards the city. So this is why part of the reason why leatherbacks and all these other uh, epic species of turtles are becoming endangered, it's due to light pollution. So this is not just a human species issue. This is a issue for owls as well because they need to have complete darkness so that if they can't be seen coming in, it's making it more difficult for them to hunt. Uh, so yeah, this is a species-wide issue and that's this is why incandescent lighting is the best thing out there because you've still got a filament in there that's going to somewhat replicate a fire and it's going to be pretty low on the Kelvin scale, meaning it's going to be closer to hues of orange and red versus hues of blue and white. And so if you do use light, like right now I'm talking to you, I've got no lights on. I've got a window right in front of me so it gives me pretty good lighting for the video. If I ever do use a light, I've got a lamp here and it's got a clear incandescent bulb on it. That's about the best you can do. But I've got a little baby. I've got a one-year-old daughter. So my wife and I, we candle down pretty early now. And we typically don't use any artificial light past eight o'clock. And now here in Kentucky, it's it's light until almost 10 o'clock. So we're going to bed when it's still light outside, but we've got blackout curtains. 
Dude, was it tough to get your wife on board with this kind of stuff? Well, <laughs> or was she already like, you know, like a biohacker into health and stuff like that? Or did you have to convert her? As I've had, pro- like, my last girlfriend always want to watch Netflix, like on the, you know, the TV in the bedroom, which doesn't even have cable. It's not even a smart TV. It's just like basically a laptop monitor, you know? Yep. And I always want to keep it on flux. And she's like, dude, this looks like shit. Like, this is <laughs> retarded. I'm not going to watch a, my favorite show, like, look orange, you know, because she was really into photography and stuff. I was like, so I would either have to wear my lame orange glasses or just be blasted with blue light. So how do you get your partner to, like, go along with this stuff? Yeah, well, that's a great question, man. Fortunately, we've been we were together. Um, we started dating 2009, so it's been been a little while. And I had a TV then, but I got rid of my TV in 2010 after I realized I wasn't watching it anymore, except for Planet Earth. Like if I was gonna uh, vaporize some cannabis and watch some Planet Earth, you know, that would be a, <laughs> that would be that an sounds, enjoyable time. That actually sounds awesome. I it, wish I could do that still. It was great. So that would be the only real reason that I used a TV, but I got rid of the TV. And so, of course, then people say, well, you've still got laptops. We did watch stuff on laptops, but we slowly just progressed to getting so busy that we just didn't even have time to do any sort of media use at night. And now, especially with a baby, by the time she puts the baby down, 7, 7.30, she may play on her phone, but I do have her use the Twilight app. And that's what I use for Android. It's the Twilight app. It's pretty darn good. You can actually control the spectrum. So I put it as low as you can go, which is like 1500 Kelvin. You can crank the intensity up and then you can dim the screen. So it looks like a a rose-colored screen by the time you're looking at it. If we do any media at night. Now, some of the other strategies like getting rid of gluten and dairy and you know, healing up your gut and getting rid of allergenic foods, that was more troublesome. But kind of fortunately in disguise, my wife had a skin issue. She was covered like head to toe in, in basically hives. And I said, babe, we've got to go get you checked out. We went to a dermatologist and they came back with all these different allergens that were coming from her skincare products. So then I was able to get her over to natural organic skincare products, which I was wanting to do for such a long time because the artificial fragrances and the phthalates and all that stuff she was using bothered me. And uh, from, from a chemical perspective, so she had to switch over to fix her skin. And then lately she had this rash in between her two fingers here. And I told her it was probably gluten or dairy if you were, quote unquote, cheating. Even just one dose where you're getting gluten, uh, you can elevate your antibodies for up to six months from one exposure. And I've seen this on on stool testing. I run a stool test called a GI map on every single client. It's a DNA-based test, so it's super accurate. You can't. I call it the lie detector test, and it's got gluten antibodies that you can measure in the stool. And I've had people tell me they were away from gluten for months or years. I had a lady said she hadn't eaten gluten in years. Her antibodies were through the roof, which as you know, gluten antibodies can start attacking your tissue. Like I thought what was going on with my wife, attacking her skin. For women, it can attack your thyroid. So then you get Hashimoto's disease, which is autoimmune thyroid disease. It can attack your joints. You've got rheumatoid arthritis then or multiple sclerosis. All this can come from gluten antibodies. And that finally gave me the power. Like, babe, look, these antibodies are there. You've got to get this under control. And, um, a little bit off the subject of her, but I had a female client a couple weeks ago. She said, Evan, I've been off gluten for years. And I said, well, I want to believe you, but you're getting gluten from somewhere. Where is it coming from? And it found out that her chapstick, although it was an organic chapstick, the last ingredient was wheat germ oil. And that was creating this massive antibodies. Wow. See, that's, I mean, that's the thing when you have 
you know, a family member or a loved one or a close friend or whatever, I, I have, you know, just full disclosure here, I have major control issues. I, I think most of us that, and I'm not going to point the finger at you, but many people I know within the field, you know, that are like super into health and they have all these restrictions and rules and diets and stuff tend to be kind of controlling. Me, well, I mean, natural. I don't... It's natural because you care about people. It's not that you're yeah. a bad person. Well, well, you just... no, but, well, here's the thing, though. There's like a fine line between like trying to control someone else and caring about them, you yeah. know? So I, I've had I've had to like find where that line is for myself and what you're describing where you're like, oh, score my... Kind of in a way, like you're like, it's a blessing because the wife had this issue, so now she'll listen to you. Yeah. I've had that with friends too. Like, dude, you're crazy. All this, Why do you do all that stuff? Just eat whatever. And I'm like, okay. And then all of a sudden they come down with some... You know, ailment, and then they come crying to me. What do I do? What do I do? And I said, I told you, man, you're probably lactose intolerant. You're eating casein. You're eating gluten. You're eating soy, corn, blah blah. blah. You know, the main offenders: canola oil, all that inflammatory stuff. And then they'll listen to me, or I'll have like people that won't listen to me, but I'll interview someone that says the exact thing I've been saying. And then they're like, oh, the doctor said it. Okay, now I believe you. I'm like, I've been telling you this for two years. And now just because like someone on my show verified what I've been saying scientifically, now you, anyway. Um, okay, that's funny. You're, you're like reading my mail here because I wanted to get into the gluten piece, but we'll jump back into it. But I want to rewind because I'm really focused on this light bit right now, especially after Dr. Cruz got me all psyched out. So, okay, let's start with, Let's go back to the devices because I really want some really solid takeaways for people because I think people hear this stuff, oh, my iPhone's bad for me. Oh, my computer's bad for me. Eh, oh, well. And I want like I want really solid solutions. So what I use is something called F.Lux you, for you guys listening or watching on YouTube, those of you that are going to watch this. And it kind of you know is set to the, the light cycle. So at dusk, it like turns your screen kind of orange and stuff. So what Evan's saying is, that F.Lux is not really great because the temperature is not awesome. Is that correct? That's right. Yeah, it's not going to cut it. And even if it looks amber, you may not be able to detect it with the naked eye, but Mercola has measured it, and there's still right. massive peaks in the blue spectrum. And that's the issue with it. So you want to okay. use Iris. You can go Iris. to... Iris. Okay, tell us about Iris. Yeah, so iristech.co is the website. I can't remember if he's Russian or where he's from, I think he charges maybe like two bucks one-time fee if you want to get the pro version. I run it all day. I've got it running right now, Luke. So I'm looking at you. I've got my color temperature set to 2300 Kelvin, which says dim incandescent. I'm on a MacBook. And so you can adjust the Kelvin. I run it 100% of the time at 2300 Kelvin. So my screen is always basically orange, even during the day. Now, is blue light bad during the day? Not really. Now, is artificial blue light bad during the day? If you've got outside sources, like a window, it's not as bad for you. Now, if you're just in a completely dark hall and all you have, all your eyes and body has is one light source, it's a lot more impactful on hormonal rhythms. And I've seen this because I ask people, where do they work? What's your lighting situation? Are you under fluorescence? Are you under LED? So I've got a lot of lab testing behind the scenes that I'm looking at with clients to verify my claims. And what I've found is people that have windows or other light sources, natural light sources, if that's combined with an artificial source such as an LED or a fluorescent or a laptop or computer, tablet, iPhone, they tend to do better off. Now, if it's just them in the dark room with Netflix, yeah, that can be a problem. Now, with the iris, though, I think don't quote me, but I think it's got some anti-flicker 
on it built into it as well. So that can help with the eye fatigue. My eyes started getting really exhausted at the end of the day because I was doing Skype calls with people and emails and all that. Once I put this iris on, my eyes are never tired anymore. So Are you serious? I Dude, swear. I became nearsighted like a few months ago, seemingly suddenly. My eyes just went wacky and I can't see like a license plate a couple of cars ahead. And, I'm convinced uh, you can reverse it. I've been talking to this guy, Jake Steiner, who I heard on Daniel Vitalis' show, and he has a, a site called endmyopia.com, I think it is, and it's yeah. a blog all about, he teaches people how to like do these exercises and crap and go outdoors and get a lot of sunlight and reverse it. Mine's mine's very mild, but I swear to God, it came from computers. I just know it. No, I guarantee it's it because like, my, my eyes did the same thing when I was using Flux. And right. uh, then I chatted with Mercola. He goes, no, Flux is crap. You've got to use Iris. So then I switched over and it's much better. And he's got it. I believe he's got it for uh, iOS and Android as well. Cool. So, oh, get so that. you could you could put it on your phone? I believe. I believe. Wow. You have to look at the okay, website. Cool. Yeah, we'll put it in the show notes. And those of you listening, as I always say, go to lukestory.com. Right on my homepage, I've got a thing that says join the tribe. If you sign up for that, we'll send you all of the links to everything like this that we're talking about. Because I know how annoying it is. Like when I li- I was listening to a podcast yesterday, like a uh, Smart Passive Income, this great business podcast. And the guy who started Lead Pages was like laying out this whole business plan and like dropping all these knowledge bonds. And I'm in my car and I'm like, shit, like I'm never going to remember when I, and I haven't, when I get home to like go to that guy's website, look up the episode number, like who does that? So if you get on my mailing list, I'll send you all of these links, which I, I wish more podcasters did because there's so much value. Like, I'd be listening to us right now going, what was that thing called? Iris? What? Eh, never mind. And then like ruin my eyes for the next five years because I don't have that resource. Well, I'll have to sign up for your email list then. Are you telling me secretly that I should be emailing out my show notes? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Dude, it's a good idea. I mean, it's, okay. you know what I'm saying? It's like, what else am I going to put in my newsletter? I, I don't like sell people stuff. I'm just saying, hey, here's this rad information I found and I'm sharing it. So that's what my newsletter is really for. I only email people when I release a podcast. So for example, when this episode comes out, probably like in August, it'll be like, you know, whatever I call this episode, blah, 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 with Evan Brand. And then the the links and all of that stuff will actually be in that email as well as the video and an audio player. So right. every newsletter is like a complete composite podcast with all of that content within that newsletter. And, so- yeah, my, my listeners dig it, you know, because then it's like, even if they don't listen to it right away, they're like, oh, that's interesting. Like protect your eyes with Iris, whatever click, and then they can get that, you know? Yeah, yeah. So so back to action steps. Yeah, yeah. For me, there's three big pieces of the puzzle when it comes to achieving health. Light is a huge one, without a doubt. If you ignore light, I had cold hands, cold feet for a while. Now, I thought it was due to me having parasite infections. I had two parasites. I had H. pylori. I had other various bacterial infections. I had yeast in my gut. I had a lot of gut issues that I had to treat. For people that didn't know about my history, I had IBS, I had depression issues for many, many, many years, and I believe it was due partially to the malnutrition because I was getting robbed of my trace minerals and micronutrients and neurotransmitter precursors because of gut bugs. So I treated my gut, my IBS was gone, depression was probably 80, 85% gone. And so I put a huge emphasis on the gut. I test everyone for gut bugs. I say everyone's guilty until proven innocent with gut bugs. But light, <laughs> it, yeah, so that's, light that's is another great. piece. I mean, I had cold hands, cold feet, and people say, oh, it's magnesium. Oh, it's this. Oh, it's that. For me, the game changer was when I really started emphasizing barefoot and, and light exposure. And now my hands, some days maybe cold hands, cold feet, but I, I've almost cured it just by focusing more on 
grounding myself by barefoot walking in the grass every single day, plus a lot of morning sun exposure, 15, 20 minutes. First thing in the morning, I take my daughter and I just walk around the neighborhood carrying her. That's cool. You just described my routine too. Uh, before we wrap up the light piece, yeah. so we've got the iris, what we can put on our computer, maybe on our phones. We should definitely at least use night shift, put those screens on, like do whatever you can to block that blue light. Now, in terms of your in-home lighting, say in your work environment, your office, uh, in your home, what would you say the hierarchy of lighting is? What I do, as I said, is I have incandescent bulbs that are like these. The only way you can really get them is on Amazon and they're decorative bulbs. So they're like those antique filament bulbs. You know, yep. they're like vintage light bulbs or whatever. Edison, or I yeah. Just, yeah, the Edison bulbs. Because those have, you know, not just blue, but they have a, more of a full spectrum and they're not that bright either. So at night I have those and then the daytime, if I can't get enough natural light, I'll use a full spectrum incandescent bulb, which are also like those kind of decorative bulbs on Amazon. And I don't know what the the um, Kelvin is, but that's kind of what I've got going on in the inside of the house. What would you recommend for people in terms of from best to worst? Yeah, I think you're spot on. You're probably in the best category. Make sure you take a double look at your Edison bulbs because even now at Home Depot and Lowe's, those Edison bulbs, they've now swapped those over. They've taken the filaments out. They're now using LED Edison. So they look vintage, but they've actually got an LED in there, a light-emitting diode, which you do not want due to the harsh ah. spectrum. Oh, so, man. Yeah. God damn it. <laughs> it's so, like, well, then, know. you know, it, okay, okay. So, and, and for you guys listening too, I, I recently found this out that, because I'm very like conspiratorial. I always think the government is trying to kill us and you know control us, which they probably are in some cases. But I'm always like, why do these companies make things that kill you? And it turns out like with an LED that doesn't have any warm colors, just a simple way to save um, energy because it takes more energy to create a warm light versus a cool light, right? So I, I don't know about that because they've got so these LED bulbs, these Edison bulbs, yeah. they are actually a warm color. They're advertising a warm colored LED Edison bulb, but still, I I yeah. wouldn't trust it because I suspect there's still peaks in the range right. that still include blue light. So okay. best is where you're at. I think you're spot on with the incandescents, especially the Edison bulbs. They're power hogs, but how much light do you really need at night? I mean, you might only need one bulb. So it's a 40-watt incandescent, you know, so what? Worst would be LEDs, absolutely. And then also I would just encourage people to take a look at your lifestyle because a lot of times people are doing mindless things in the evening that require light that they really don't need to be doing. Like if you're just scrolling and scrolling and scrolling on Instagram and Facebook, and I'm guilty of this, which is why I removed Instagram from my phone. And I hardly oh, ever did? post there. I just I just tagged you. Your your Instagram's not just paleo, right? It's uh, I changed it. It's Oh, Mr. you did. I just tagged you You'll right have to now on the call. Me. It's Mr. So MR Evan Brand, because Evan Brand was already taken. So now it's MR Evan Brand. All right. You have I'm to gonna, retag um, me. But I removed Instagram from my phone because I realized what am I doing? I'm not actually accomplishing anything. And then someone mentioned the quote consuming is the opposite of producing. And I thought Whoa. I thought, oh, consuming is the opposite of producing. Oh my God. And as a content creator, I thought this is a game changer. This is a big deal. So I completely uninstalled Instagram. I hardly ever post there. Uh, I just, it's, it's just not, it's just not my, my place to shine. And so I'm focusing on YouTube and podcasting because that's what I love. And I can do that stuff during the day. And it just, I don't know. I just, I love it so much better. So back to my point, 
reevaluate your lifestyle, figure out what are you actually doing in the evening that requires light. You may find that you don't need light at all. And what we do is we have a salt lamp in the bathroom of our master bedroom. So if we do, so if we've got the baby sleeping in our room, we just have that salt lamp on. So if we do need to do anything so we don't run into the wall, which we've both busted our noses several times due to the pitch blackness in our rooms, we've got that salt <laughs> lamp. So we will turn yeah. on a little bit of light if we do need to, to brush our teeth or, or do something. Um, right. But ideally, though, your sleeping environment and your, your evening environment should be so dark that you can't see your hand right in front of your face. Yeah, that's what I've got going. Had to get very creative in order to do that. Uh, okay, so LED lights in the home or office, the absolute worst. Then what would be the next worst? Uh, fluorescent? Like yeah, fluorescent yeah. tubes or those curly CFL, whatever freaking Yeah, CFLs, CFLs, because they also, uh, you'll have to listen to Mercola. He did an interview with Samuel Milham, who wrote the book Dirty Electricity and the Diseases of Civilization. He's pushing 90 years old. I had him on my podcast a few years ago. He's actually measured the EMF that comes off of CFL bulbs. So even if we're not talking about the spectrum issue, just sitting by a CFL bulb, especially if you've got a, let's say you've got an end table right next to your couch and you're reading a book with the CFL next to your head, it's emanating about a four foot range of uh, high frequency noise as well as magnetic fields that you're exposing yourself to. And you can measure this. So that's another reason to avoid CFL curly bulbs as well as incandescence, or not sorry, incandescence, I meant the fluorescence. And then you work your way towards best, you've got incandescence, and then even better is natural light, if you can hang out by a window. I mean, here it's light outside until 9.30, so if we're sitting by a window, we've pretty much got as much light as we need outside, and then you can go to maybe a salt lamp, a Himalayan salt lamp, you're going to have a nice little good glow with that, and then even better would be a candle, an unscented, you know, organic candle that's not burning lead and all of that into your air. Yeah, I know that's the thing with a lot of dude. The stuff goes so deep, you know. That a lot of the candles are super toxic too. You know, it's like you, you can really tell the difference too if you get like a totally natural, like a beeswax candle, and you light that in your house. It has a totally different smell and even a different like temperature of light than one of these like I don't know what they're made out of, like petroleum wax, like some yeah. weird stuff with lead in the wick. Okay, cool. So that's great. I think that's some real value for people. And then. When you're unable to have the right kind of lighting installed uh, in your home or on your computer, office, whatever, what where are you at with like wearing different blue blocking glasses like at appropriate times? Do you mess with any of that, or is that just like a phase that we all tried out and then got sick of, or what? Well, so I've got three pairs. They're all sitting in the closet right here behind me. I've got the the new expensive fancy ones that came out, the biohacked ones. I did a YouTube video on it because now red goggles are the cool thing. Orange is out and red is in because now apparently there's green spectrums that can be just as impactful on melatonin production that the orange blue blockers that everybody's wearing are not covering. And so the red is supposed to be the new cool. And you could buy those on Amazon for like nine bucks. They're going to be the same. They're like glasses that protect you from laser beams. Those are red. And those are supposed to protect you from the green spectrums, which are so close. If you look at the light spectrum, they're so close to blue in terms of the wavelength, that they're similar to blue. So now red, do I wear them though? I don't. I mean, I'm home so often. I hardly ever travel. I hardly ever frequent places where there is bad lighting. If I do go to the grocery store or something, I'm just not going to worry about it. I'm going to get back out into the sunshine right after and it's probably going to reset whatever damage I did. So I honestly think that some of the neurosis around 
Well, and also it's a great marketing ploy, right? A lot of these companies are popping up and they're doing affiliate programs and all this about blue blocking glasses, which cool, you know, no hate against anybody. It's nothing wrong with making money. However, I believe that there's a lot of unwarranted fear about this issue just due to miseducation and misinformation. And a lot of people are cashing in to make a quick buck. But in reality, the stress of worrying about it is probably going to create more of a cortisol response. You can put on a Measure it for yourself. Put on a heart rate variability device. Measure your nervous system. I guarantee if you start thinking about how bad this is, your heart rate score is probably going to be much worse by just the stress of the thought of it as opposed to the actual implication right. from the source. Well, that, yeah, that's what I was alluding to earlier is the whole like control issue, you know, the orthorexia with your dietary restrictions and. Oh man, I mean, it's just a lot of work. And I think that's kind of off putting to people that, you know, they're like, oh, I want to be healthy, but I don't want to be an extremist and have to control every little thing 24 7. I myself have loosened up about a lot of this stuff just because, because of the neurosis factor. And I'm kind of going, hmm, what's worse, like being so goddamn worried about the light or just dealing with it and knowing, listen, we're all going to go and you just do the best you can. So I'm still probably pretty extreme compared to your average Joe. But I've definitely like let go of some of those, um, you know, more controlling things because it does. It gives you a certain degree of tension, you know, when you're always like paranoid about everything like that. Well, and and here's what I do. I mean, anytime I have something like that that's overwhelming me, I just try to turn it into an action step. So if you come across something, gluten's bad, dairy's bad. Oh my god, I have to focus on removing this from my diet. I don't even think about it. I just think wow, what do I get to eat? I've got pastured bison, I've got elk, I've got wild boar, I've got local grass-fed beef, I've got organic veggies, I've got coconut, I've got all sorts of avocados and macadamias. It's like if I just focus on the good part of things, the bad part really becomes irrelevant. And I believe if you get caught up in this negative spin about everything, oh, I can't do chocolate anymore, or I can't do kombucha because it's feeding my candida in my gut, whatever it is, focus on what you've got left. Ideally, you have zero fear, you have zero guilt, you have zero stress around your lifestyle. And it really just becomes your new norm. And maybe you do have to become more of a homebody. Maybe you do have to ditch some friends. Maybe you've got to go through a breakup because your partner just won't listen to you or they just think you're too weird. Maybe you've got to go through some of the relationship stuff, but those relationships, those are going to impact your health more than, oh, I ate some grass-fed ice cream. Grass-fed ice cream is probably not going to destroy you as much as a terrible relationship. Dude, you just described the last two years of my life. I digress. Um, Okay. <laughs> and this is all this is all personal experience. I mean, you know, I, I mean, I've it de- is, dude. It is. Yeah. I've dealt with all of this, and and I see that here. And here's the deal, man. And you know this. We all do it. This is human nature. It's much easier to focus on minutia, like is this air purifier going to filter out VOCs or not, and formaldehyde. I'm going to worry about the minutia of do I have the ultimate best air filter in the world, or I've got a terrible partner that treats me terribly and I just don't want to get rid of them because it's too uncomfortable or they provide the income for me or we just signed a lease together or we just got married or whatever. That stuff is going to affect your health far more than any of the diet, lifestyle, fitness piece ever. However, it's not as sexy. It's harder to deal with. It's more emotionally draining 
And people want to act like it doesn't matter. People, you know, will shove emotional stuff under the rug. Like I had a woman, she couldn't lose weight. We had tried ketogenic diet. Uh, she did have parasites, which can be a massive source of inflammation in the gut, therefore causing leaky gut, therefore causing antibodies to go up, therefore causing her to be hypothyroid, therefore causing her to have elevated reverse T3, which is an inactive thyroid hormone, which causes you to store body fat. So yeah, she did have the, the whole biochemical piece as a factor, but once we had addressed the gut infections, we got rid of the yeast, we supported her adrenals, we got our detox pathways working better, we started her with some methylation support, we fixed all that, she still didn't lose weight. I was confused. I thought this is the first time this has ever happened. What's going on? I said, there's something missing. Like, what are you not telling me? This doesn't make sense. She said, well, my husband and I, which now they're they're going through a divorce currently as we speak, she goes, my husband and I have been arguing for as long as I could remember. She says, we never agree on anything. Our sex life is terrible. It's affecting the kids. It's affecting our sleep. We're not sleeping well anymore. We hardly talk to each other. We don't even eat at the dinner table together anymore. All she did was talk to me about it. And then all of a sudden she's lost 20 pounds in six weeks. And I was like, how is this possible? Like what are repressed emotions doing to our body that we don't fully understand? I don't have a full answer of what changed. I just know that something had happened with these repressed emotions. And once she revealed it, and I get goosebumps now talking about it. Of course, once she cried to me about it, then all of a sudden she lost weight. And maybe, yes, maybe people could say, oh, it's a vanity-based goal. She just wanted to lose fat. But something else was going on in the body until she released it. All the light hacks, all the diet hacks, all the sleep and turn off the Wi-Fi at night, none of it moved the needle as opposed to just talking about relationship stress. So, Dude, so, so right on, so important. I think, I mean, you've been into this stuff for a while and I have too. I think that it's easy to get distracted with some of the low-hanging fruit because yeah. it is, it's interesting when you start learning about all this stuff, okay, I'm going to fix this, I'm going to fix that, eat this, eat that. And it's like, I 100% agree that it's more about your emotional and spiritual point of center. And I think that myself and a lot of people, it's like you keep yourself distracted and busy doing a lot of this other shit because it's scarier to face the stuff that's really going on inside. You know, yeah. I just did this thing called the Hoffman process, which I'll, I'm sure I'm going to do a show on soon. It's like a week long. <laughs> it's just so gnarly, dude. I mean, it's beautiful, but gnarly. It's a week long thing where you're, you know, you're looking at your childhood and trauma and your parents and, you know, negative patterns in your life and you're sequestered away in the woods in Northern California for seven days, no phone, no nothing, you know, just you and your heart and soul, um, and you know, like a sort of a program and a formula by which to look at all this stuff and deal with it. And it's like, dude, I came out of there a thousand pounds lighter. You oh know what I mean? God. It's like, I mean, in a week of doing that, it probably helped me more on a physiological level and my nervous system level than two years of the perfect diet and the perfect lighting. Well, let me share this with you, man. I think you're going to really geek out on this. Um, this is the first time I've mentioned this because one, it's a relatively new development. And two, I wasn't aware of what I was holding on to. When I lived in Austin, Texas, I told you I moved down there back in 2013 to go work for a supplement company called Onnit. And I got promoted to work for the CEO and great job, great people, great company, but I was homesick. And I knew that I wasn't going to be able to stay in Texas. It was too hot Everything was poisonous and there were thorns everywhere. You couldn't walk barefoot in Texas. There's too many damn spikes. Every time you go out walking barefoot in Texas, you either get bit by fire ants or you get a thorn in your foot. So Are you um, serious? I swear. That's, that's funny because everyone everyone's always like, dude, Austin's so dope. We should all move there. Like any homie that goes there is like, let's move there. I'm like, well, it's if you a can't great walk place around to barefoot, visit. I'm out. Great place to visit. 
for me, it wasn't a good place because it was more of, hello, nice to meet you. What can you do for me? And it's just, that's not the way it is in, in Kentucky. It was just completely different. Uh, you know, I, I just felt like it was a bit, I don't know if you call it pretentious or what the name is, but it was just a bit too uppity for me. You wouldn't like it in Hollywood then, Evan. <laughs> uh, probably not. Probably not. Uh, so anyhow, and you'll have to come to Kentucky one day. I've got some cool stuff to show you here. But anyhow, long story short, I had some fear and I had some vulnerability down there because I took my now wife, I took my fiance down there away from her family. She had never been away before. I had never been away on my own. I had lived in other states with family members, but I never lived fully away on my own. We had no friends. We had no family. It was tough to meet people because everyone was so, so established into their cliques. It's kind of a little, you know, if you're not in the club, it, you can't get in. It was very difficult. And at that moment, I wasn't aware of me storing those emotions away. And I talked with my buddy, Justin, who'd been on your show, and I told him about this pain in my belly button because I used to lift a bunch of heavy kettlebells and I had tore my abdominal wall. I thought it was a hernia, but I had tore my abdominal wall. And I went to, got the, I got the ultrasound when I was in Texas. They said, it's a tore abdominal wall. Be careful. You could turn this into a hernia easily and no heavy lifting. I said, okay. But still, two years later, I was still affected by this and certain random movements I would hit the mountain bike trails. It would irritate it. And I'd have that sharp pain come back in my belly button. I talk with Justin. He goes, man, it sounds like you've got some issue with your fascia. Why don't you go see a myofascial release therapist, a myofascial release technique therapist? I said, okay, I'm going to go for it because typical massage is not doing anything. Float tanks are not doing anything. Although it's relaxing, it's not healing it. I went to this myofascial release person. You know, we're talking in July, you and I. This was... Uh, actually last Friday and the week before, so very new development, I went into her, you lay on the table, and they start to work on your fascia, which is basically like an inner web, essentially, where you can store scar tissue, but I've also learned you can store memories there, and you can store emotions in the fascia. And this is crazy. And she starts working on my gut. I'm laying on my back. She's working on my gut, and you can feel these releases, almost like small rubber bands popping I can feel these releases in my gut. And for a while, it got very intense. Like the pain started coming back. It feels like a burning pain when someone's working on your fascia. It felt like she had had a match and she was burning my stomach. Like it was very intense. And she goes, Evan, I'm, I'm, I'm sensing some type of emotion here too. And she's like, what type of emotion is it? And she just called me out. And my gut immediately said, fear and vulnerability. And she said, from what? And I said, I don't know. And she goes, well, when you had this injury, what was going on? And I was like, oh my God, the exact time that I injured my gut and tore the abdominal wall, that was when I was most fearful and I was most vulnerable. You know, I felt deserted, I felt homesick. And she goes, well, it's time to let that go. And I just said, okay. And I mentally just said, okay, I'm done. I'm done being fearful. I'm done being vulnerable. I'm back in Kentucky. I've got my friends, my family, my social network is back. I've got it. Boom. And this is a physical release. Immediately, the tension in the gut disappeared. The sharp pain that it intensified went from like an eight to maybe a one and a half instantly. And she goes, whoa. She goes, did you feel that? She goes, I felt it in my hand. I said, hell yes, I felt it. I said, what was that? And she goes, well, like I told you, apparently fascia stores both physical trauma, like scar tissue, but also emotions and memories. So apparently 
you had released something. And for the first time in the last several years, I've been able to officially get back on the mountain bike without aggravating that issue. I rode pretty damn hard over the last week, no gut pain at all, which had been from the last two years. Every time I rode, I knew I was going to have to pay that price of that tight tension in the gut. It's gone. And that was only two sessions, about one hour each. Wow. So you're able to find um, you know, alternative therapy and stuff like that where you live? People that do sort of that fringe stuff? Yeah. So I'm outside of Louisville. Uh, we've got about a million people here in the city. So it's a pretty big city. We've got pretty much every therapist you could look for. Maybe not some of the super out there therapists, but we've got a lot. Let's take a brief intermission to tell you about the upcoming launch of my brand new 90-day lifestyle design coaching program, where you can have the opportunity to work one-on-one with me. Just go to lukestory.com forward slash coaching to apply for a free 15-minute assessment call. We're going to have a quick chat to discover what your blocks are and find out how we can move you through them. Using my 20 years of experience in the fields of health and personal development, I'm going to guide you through my system of revolutionary mental, physical, and emotional transformation. This program is fully immersive. It's a deep dive into my nature-based philosophy of personal optimization. So based on your personal needs, we're going to work together to map out a blueprint for creating the happy and healthy lifestyle that you deserve, as well as a very practical approach to spirituality that you can actually carry into your relationships, your career, and your future. Here's the deal, though. Space for this program is very limited. I'm not even joking. I can only take on five clients per month, period. So go to lukestory.com forward slash coaching to apply for your free 15-minute consultation with me. And now, back to the interview. Yeah, man, that that makes so much sense. That reminds me, uh, years ago I did a session, no, actually a couple sessions. I was trying to quit smoking, actually, is why I did it. But I did these sessions with these Maori healers from New Zealand. You know, that they're all like tattooed up. The guys look like, they kind of look like Samoans. They're just yep. huge, huge, not just fat, but just huge guys. And it was a family and they do these ancient, you know, traditional Maori healing sessions, which are body work sessions. And my eyes were closed, so I don't know what they were doing. But dude... I could well the people that were in there before you kind of it was in someone's house in Topanga Canyon it was a very fringe kind of trippy thing but I'm in like the the waiting room essentially like the, the you know the foyer of the house and then you could hear other people getting worked on dude and people are like ah just screaming and crying I'm like dude are people getting murdered in there and they lay me down and I'm just I just surrender to the process and like this is weird but whatever I just want to quit smoking which I eventually did so who knows it may have worked but uh, it just took a while. And they start working on me. I don't know what they were doing, dude. The amount of pressure and where they were applying pressure is mostly in my legs, like the back of my legs. They, if they were standing on me or they were super strong or what. But, dude, I started like flashing back to all these traumatic experiences in my life. They didn't tell me to do that. It's just when they went into certain areas of my body, just childhood trauma, really shameful, hurtful moments in my life, I just started to release all this stuff. And I was bawling like the other people that had gone before me. But I wasn't bawling from the pain. I was bawling from this emotional release. It was the crazy experience. Crazy experience. I'll never forget that. And there's been many other times since. But that was my first connection of like, oh, weird. My body's making me recall certain things like that. So that's a very powerful story, man. It's weird that the amount of pressure she was applying, she said it was hardly anything. I said, you, I was like, you're killing me. Like, this is so intense right now. I said, I'm going to work through it. I was breathing like, oh, come on, Evan. She goes, I'm barely pushing. 
And I was like, why is it burning? And she's like, that's just your fascia. That's how it works. So I encourage people, if you've got issues, structural issues, you've got random back pain that comes up and you just can't fix it. Uh, she worked on my back too, which mainly I've resolved by sitting less. Uh, check out myofascial release therapist. It's some good stuff. And the fascia, I heard someone describe it as as this. It's like when you buy you know, a, a, a filet piece of beef or something, there's like this silvery sort of skin around that muscle, you know, that's a muscle meat we're eating. Is that, is that the fascia? It's like this weird kind of film, right? Yeah, I believe that's it. Yeah. And she said, it's really just the spider web. It's kind of the under layer of our, of our tissue. And when you injure things, not only are you injuring the muscle, but the fascia will try to come in and heal you up, but it's like things don't heal up perfectly. So you've got to get to the root cause. So yeah, therapeutic massage can help, but if you're not getting to the root cause, really, it's like root cause body work instead of functional medicine. It's like functional medicine of the the hands or something. You know, she's working into the fascia. Apparently you can release and somehow heal the fascia and let it let go is really what the process is. Your body holds on to stuff. Kind of the way she explained it to me. Yeah, that's cool, man. Thanks for sharing that. Okay, on to the next one. So one of the main things I wanted to talk to you about, I have your book here, which you sent me a while ago, The Everything Guide to Nootropics, which is really great. I love the way that you did it because it's very simple and that's the way that I need to read. Like, I don't need 10 pages on ashwagandha. I need a paragraph that just gives me the basic gist because... I just kind of feel things out like that. And so you cover a lot of great stuff in here. I wanted to highlight a few of those things because I get a lot of questions from listeners about specifically smart drugs and nootropics. Where do I start? Which ones are safe? Which ones are natural? Which ones aren't? And I've used a lot of this stuff with varying degrees of success. So I wanted to cover just some different herbs and nootropics, smart drugs, all that kind of stuff because it happens to be something that's been on my mind lately. So I want to run through... A few different things, but first, I'd like to just ask what your experience and relationship to nootropics is, and if you could just explain kind of what I'm talking about in terms of mental performance and focus and all that. Sure. So, nootropics, basically brain vitamins. Nootropics, it's a word that has gotten diluted in the last five years since about 2011, 2012, when I first started getting into them. The word has gotten so diluted that most people who call their product a nootropic, it's it's probably not a nootropic because there's a specific set of parameters that make something a nootropic, like it does not sedate you necessarily. You can still perform at a high level. There's no side effects, toxicity, etc. There's a lot of companies out there that tag themselves as a nootropic, but there's actually risk associated with some of those. Like modafinil, it's not a nootropic. It's definitely not. There's definitely implications for using it and abusing it. What I mainly focus on with people is herbal nootropics. I've actually got a formula. It's called Neurosynergy. I can send you some if you want to try it, but it's an herbal nootropic. Yeah, please do. I'm actually I'm out of my Siltep right now, and I'm like, oh, man, I really feel it when I don't take nootropics. Yeah. Like, I become more dim and dull-witted. That's <laughs> for real. Like, I definitely am able to quantify the results. Okay, so carry on. Yeah, so I, did, I actually did some behind-the-scenes work with Natural Stacks, but they didn't want my advice. They had hired me to do a podcast for them, and... I started giving them advice behind the scenes like, hey, I would change this and this formula, this and this formula. And they're like, "Uh, we don't like your podcast episode. You've got some people associated with other supplement companies. So peace out. And uh, they hired somebody else to do the podcast. But anyway, I think some of the stuff I've come up with is superior to the Siltep. I think it can work, but I've got more studies. 
more PubMed cool. verifying human studies, not rat studies, verifying the the efficacy of ingredients. But brain vitamins, essentially, that's what you could categorize nootropics. My first exposure to a nootropic was phenobute or phenogaba, which is incredible. You got to be I careful love that with it. Stuff. <laughs> yeah, I love exactly. That. See, it's, that's why it's, it's so hard to like only do it a couple days a week. Like I, I almost, I almost took some this morning, and you know, sorry, I do it. I'm like the king interrupter, but you're fine. Sorry, roll. Our interviews always are more conversations anyway. But I was going to take some today, and I'm like, nope, tomorrow's 4th of July, Luke. You're going to want to be in a really fun, relaxed, good mood tomorrow. So hold off on the fenibit today and take it tomorrow, which I did. So tell us about that one. Yeah, so it works on the GABA receptors. GABA is basically the brakes of the brain. So typically people hear about serotonin. They hear about dopamine. You hear about norepinephrine, epinephrine. You hear about all these various hormones and neurotransmitters, but GABA is pretty under underrated, underappreciated. Conventional medicine, conventional doctors or therapists, they're going to put you on uh, GABA-modifying drugs such as Valium, Xanax, lorazepam, benzodiazepines, which have a high risk potential for addiction, withdrawal, et cetera. They're just, they're terrible. They're terrible drugs and they're unnecessary in most cases because you can use things like Phenibut or Phenibit it's a phenyl GABA. So when you take a phenyl group, you add it to the GABA molecule, it makes it much, much more small and it allows it to pass through the blood-brain barrier, which is normally a pretty impenetrable force unless you've got leaky gut. And if you've got leaky gut, now we know that you've probably got leaky brain as well, meaning if you take a straight GABA supplement, say 500 milligrams as a test, if you get relaxed or you notice any effect from GABA by itself, you've got a leaky brain. You've got if you've heard of intestinal permeability, you've got, <laughs> then, you've then got have a that. permeable brain barrier, which is not good because if you live in LA and you've got a leaky brain and you live in LA and there's air pollution, we know that these toxins from exhaust are getting into your brain. So if you've got a leaky gut, you've got a leaky brain. And if you take GABA by itself and you get affected, you've got to, you've got to do some work. Now, with phenogaba, it's so small that it'll go through the blood-brain barrier very easily. And it's really going to bind to those GABA receptors. And you're going to get things like increased mental clarity. You're going to get relaxation. You're going to get... It's, I consider Phenibit like alcohol without the drunkness. It's a very good social lubricant. Uh, it, you can do it if you're going to go to a conference, if you're going to go to a public speaking gig. You could use Finibit for that reason to take it yeah. and not get sedated, but still have the mental clarity. Finibit was actually first formulated, synthesized, and used in space programs in the 70s because the Russians needed to have their brains working well while they were in space, but they didn't want to get sedated. So they needed improved cognition without sedation because if you're in a spaceship, well, you probably don't want to be sedated. You got to be awake. And that's how Finibit came onto onto the radar. And then now you've got people that are abusing it. So there's actually been a massive crackdown. It's gotten much, much harder to source Finibit due to the massive risk for abuse and withdrawal. Because if you hit those GABA receptors so often, it's like playing ding dong ditch. Eventually the people aren't going to answer the door. Same thing with GABA. You can really downregulate your, your natural production of GABA. So then you start getting anxiety, panic attacks, shakes, uh, phobias, etc. If you push that button too much. So um, I personally reserve it for very, very, very infrequent use, but it is a game changer, and it's one of the best, one of the best nootropics in my book. The stuff that I use is from a company called Lift Mode, and they use an HCL at the end. And I see this with a lot of different supplements. What does that HCL mean? Do you happen to know? I'd have to look it up. I don't think it means anything, anything extra. Let me see if I can type in HCL. 
And I've not he, seen this other one. So I know LIFMO, they've got a blog article where they say FAA, so that'd be free form amino acids, what that means. Now the HCL, huh, with hydrochloric acid. Oh, they, that like HCL, like you take made from beets or whatever to digest food. It seems like it. It's a Zwitter ionic HCL salt. It has a negative and a positive electrical charge. It's highly acidic and sour. Okay, so I'm assuming that most Finibit out there is going to be the HCL version because every Finibit I've ever tried, even if it doesn't have the HCL in the label, it's always had that highly acidic kind of sour taste to it. So I'm yeah, going to assume. It does. You definitely want to brush your teeth after you take Finibit. But it's interesting what you said about the FDA crackdown and, and all of this stuff because. Bulletproof used to make this supplement called GABA Wave, which was like a liposomal, really highly absorbable form of Fenibut. And then it just disappeared. And I actually asked Dave Asprey, I was like, dude, that was like the best supplement ever. What happened? He's like, ah, too many hassles with the man. It just wasn't making it. And so, because it's, it's still hard to absorb apparently. So what he suggested that I do is I could make my own liposomal delivery of the Fenibut by just taking, you know, whatever water base putting some brain octane or MCT oil in a blender and like blending the shit out of the fenibit, the oil and the water and emulsifying it into the fat molecule and then taking it like that for better absorption and more of you like could, a... You could. I mean, I do you think that's unnecessary? Unnecessary, you can just take the powder? completely. Oh, okay. Yeah, I mean, when you've got the phenyl group added to it, it's already phenyl GABA. So it's already so able to cross the blood brain barrier. I mean, the extra step sounds cool and a little bit arduous, but I've never okay. not felt the effects. <laughs> okay, that's all right. That's cool. That's good to know. Okay, so enter at your own risk, folks. Uh, Fenibit, not something to toy with because you don't want to downregulate your body's own ability to create that GABA, right? That's exactly. the idea. Okay. Yeah, exactly. So, I, I think I told you this last time, so I'm sorry if this is repetitive. But I had a friend who turned me on to Finibit and he had timed his Amazon Prime deliveries to the day he ran out of his first bottle, he had another bottle arriving because he couldn't sleep and he uh, basically had almost like heroin-like withdrawals where he was like shaking uncontrollably if he ran out of it. So he really destroyed his uh, neurotransmitter receptor. So it's a, it's a very highly controversial substance. It does have benefits. It's great for panic and phobias and anxiety and all of that, but very sparingly in less is more with Finibit. You actually get a little bit more bang for your buck if you use less. So pay attention to what people say in terms of the dosing, but just always start low. You can always add more in later. But here's the deal. Let's say 200 milligrams gives you a good feeling and you say, well, I'm going to go take a gram or I'm going to go take two grams. Yeah, you may feel a little bit more relaxed or a little bit more something altered, but look, you've just taken five or 10 times as much. So you've really, really impacted that receptor site much, much more. Therefore, you're going to increase your risk for addiction and withdrawal much more rapidly. So if you love the stuff, just baby dose it if you can. That way you're not going to tap out the receptor site, but you can still get the good feeling from it. Cool, good advice. Yeah, the little scoop that comes in my uh, powdered little jug of it is tiny. And I was like, that can't do anything. Let me do four, you know? Yeah. Interesting thing, of, uh, recently I, I uh, had a friend who is, for you know, pain purposes, addicted to Oxycontin, which is like the gnarliest you know, synthetic opiate. So she's physically addicted to it, not recreationally. And if it runs out, it's bad news. You know, she has to make sure that she travels with that medication and stuff. And she had started to run out. And I don't know, I was looking something up, looking up Fenibut, and it's used oftentimes for opiate withdrawals. 
And so I gave her some one day and she was like low on her medication and it really helped her. I mean, she was like not feeling that withdrawal symptoms. It alleviated the symptoms. But the next day I gave her too much (laughs) Fenibit and she got super, super sick. What happened? Nausea, dizzy, like bedridden, just totally whacked out. Like how much was it? What was the dose? I don't know. Probably. I mean, unfortunately, eyeballed. But we were we were just like, hey, if one scoop yesterday, you know, cured you of the opiate withdrawal, maybe four scoops. Probably like half a teaspoon or something. You know, like a decent kind of unmeasured scoop, but it absolutely had a really adverse reaction. So, Based on a half spoonful, that sounds like maybe two to three grams, which, yeah, I mean, it could be a bit much. The good thing is, though, you'll pee most of it out pretty quickly. So you you may be affected for like eight hours if you do too much. Um, Funny enough, speaking of adaptogens and too much and all that, um, we can transition to chat about ashwagandha for a minute. That was next on my list. Okay. That's funny because I've probably been doing too much of that too. Well, so, so <laughs> I, I believe I overdosed a bit yesterday on some ashwagandha. Now uh, I've been taking this formula called Adrenasu. That's a friend of mine, Aviva Ram. She's a medical doctor, but she's a master herbalist, and she's got this product called Adrenasooth. And it's got reishi in there. It's got motherwort. It's got zisophis. I love it. It's in a tincture, and it's got ashwagandha in there. And I was trying to get the dropper to the bottom of the bottle, but I, I wasn't able to get it, so I thought, oh, I'm just going to pour the rest into a cup and just you know, shoot it down. And it went bloop into the cup, and I thought, ooh, that looked like a pretty big splash. How much was in there? And I thought, oh, whatever, it's fine. I take this almost every day. I should be fine. 20, 30 minutes later, I felt like I was floating. I was like, whoa, I never knew there was too much of Zisophis, motherwort, reishi, ashwagandha. I never knew there was such a thing. And I, I floated for, for several hours, and then eventually I kind of came back down to planet Earth. But I wouldn't say I liked it, though. I wouldn't say it was pleasurable. At first, it started out kind of like a cannabis buzz, but then it really progressed into a sort of a dizzy, slightly nauseous, almost like a drunken slumber, if you will. Interesting. And for those listening that don't know what the hell ashwagandha is, give us a little background on that one because it's, yes, it's one of the most popular herbs. Yeah, so it's an adaptogenic herb. The Latin is withania somnifera, somnifera meaning to induce sleep. So for a lot of clients I'm working with with insomnia, if we fix the lifestyle issues, typically like the light at night, typically sleep gets better. Um, but sometimes you've got people with blood sugar problems, cortisol issues, thyroid issues, etc. Uh, EMF also can influence cortisol in the evening, therefore affecting sleep. Ashwagandha can be great. Anywhere between two and five hundred milligrams in the evening before bed can be awesome. And you can also use it in the morning. In the afternoons, it's a pretty unique adaptogen where it's not necessarily going to sedate you, but it's not necessarily going to stimulate you like coffee either. So I personally take it before breakfast or before lunch, and then I also take it before bed. And that keeps me in a pretty good place with sleep and energy and mainly the ability to tolerate stress. So if you've got stress coming your way, maybe I can't wave a wand to get rid of your stress, but if I can change the way your nervous system responds, where you don't jump into the sympathetic fight or flight as easily, that's my primary use of adaptogenic herbs with clients is to help modulate the stress response. And it works wonderfully for that. Now, I do like to combine it. Like I mentioned, I'll combine it with reishi or motherwort or zisophis or albizia bark or passionflower, chamomile, lemon balm, nettle, a lot of these other modulators. And you really start to get more bang for your buck when you when you mix it with stuff. A really good one, a one-two punch is ashwagandha rhodiola. 
uh, rhodiola rosea, also known as the golden root. There's a cool study on it where they took 1,200 people and after just three days, like 90 plus percent of the test subjects reported, quote unquote, less life stress just in three days of rhodiola. Rhodiola changed my life. I mean, I almost cured myself of depression going through college when I found rhodiola. It significantly doubled or tripled my physical performance too when I was working at a park system. I was doing a lot of hiking and biking and lugging around chainsaws and getting rid of invasive species and hauling logs and doing all sorts of physical labor. Rhodiola is really helpful for that. But when you combine it with ashwagandha, you get the calming, soothing effect from ashwagandha. So you're kind of and ashwagandha is also working on GABA receptors. So you're working on the GABA receptor, but then when you've got rhodiola in the picture, you're boosting up. I don't know if it's your catecholamines. I don't know if it's hitting on adrenaline or what it's doing, but it's it's a really good energy booster. It's a great mood lifter too. And I like to mix those because sometimes people with anxiety or panic or phobia, rhodiola is too stimulating. So I say, okay, fine. Just take one-in-one ratio, ashwagandha, rhodiola. They'll feel stable but uplifted at the same time. Do you have brands that you'd recommend of both of those? Well, it that- depends. If you want to go for a tincture, I would say look up the Adrena Sooth by Herb Farm. That's oh, got right. the ashwagandha, okay. that's got the reishi in there, that's got all of it. I've actually got a new formula that I'm coming out. Of course, people say I'm biased because it's my product, but I've got a new professional grade, something it's called the Adaptogen Tonic. Uh, it's Ooh, not It's nice. not quite out, but I'm going to send you a bottle of it. And, Dude, uh, Nice. Yeah, I've got a manufacturer in New Mexico who they do all organic, wildcrafted herbs, especially adaptogens. And so I've put together something that I think is going to be the most comprehensive yet supportive adaptogen tonic on the market, which I, like I said, people say I'm biased, but you know, I've been in the trenches with people. So it's not like I'm a, a person who uh, formulates things and then just hopes that it goes viral on social media. I have to talk with the people that I give formulas. So they're going to say, Evan, look, that sucked. Or I couldn't sleep after I took this formula or I got depressed after I took that or my energy was amazing. I get instant feedback. So I think it's a bit unique. But if you're looking for a quick fix, you want to go buy something right now, look at the entire Adrena line from Herb Farm. It's got the Soothe, it's got the Nourish, which is going to be a bit more stimulating. That's going to be your Holy Basil, your Maca, Shajandra, Luthero, which is Siberian ginseng. And then they've got a most stimulating, which most people don't need, called Adrena Uplift. That's got licorice in it. There's some issues with licorice and blood pressure. Most people are too adrenally burned out to handle licorice anyway. So I would start with more of a calming blend like your Makas, your ashwagandhas, your holy basil, your chandra, eleutheros, uh, reishi, stuff like that. Do you prefer these type of herbs in a tincture, you know, like an alcohol-based tincture, or do you like the really like the 10 to 1 powdered extracts? Do you think the, the powdered versions, if they're strong enough, are decent? It depends on the source. It depends on the extraction method. Some people do really harsh extraction methods. It depends on whether they're heating up the herbs as well. I mean, so there's a lot of variables that go into a product. But if you've got a professional manufacturer like I'm using or you're going to someone like Herb Farm, you're going to be pretty good. Now Foods, I mean, they're okay. Then you start running into these random Amazon brands that you've never heard of them before and they've got all these five-star reviews where they probably paid people to review them. So it can get real sketchy. So I urge people, try to go for more practitioner grade, more professional grade, or someone like myself who is working actively with clients while using these formulas as opposed to people that are just product manufacturers because 
once again, I, I think it's better when you've got more in the trenches experience versus somebody who's just selling a big affiliate program, which is basically a, it's not multi-level marketing, but if it's just like an affiliate program based company, I get a bit curious. Yeah, curious is a good polite way to put it. Yeah. All right, that's cool. Is rhodiola part of the Indian Ayurvedic herb system like ashwagandha? Good question. I don't know. I know that the rhodiola, its native habitat is going to be Siberia and Russia, which is why rhodiola oh. can also help you with adapting to cold and hot temperatures. Rhodiola is really great for people that have trouble modulating their temperature or people that can't do cold or they can't do hot very well. Rhodiola helps with that. It's one of the properties of it. But it's Siberia, Russia area, so I don't know. Oh, if that's, interesting. Okay, yeah, it just is such a weird word, you know. I'm like, oh, where's that come from? I don't know if it's far. I don't know if it grows far enough south where the, you know, the native Indians would have picked up on it or not. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if we were all in the same room right now, I would uh, I would recommend a round of applause for our friend Evan in an amazing episode. But when you only hear one clap, it gets a little awkward. So I'm just excited having jumped off this call. I hope that you learned a lot. Every time I talk to Evan, I just get my mind blown. Like I can never stop. That's why when I talk to people like that, if they're willing to give me two hours, I just roll and make it a double episode. So I want to make sure that you tune back in on Friday. And if you forget to tune in, an easy way to make sure you don't miss the second half of these long, epic double shows that I do is to just subscribe to the podcast. Then they're just going to land on your device without you having to do a goddamn thing. But uh, yeah, I really love the interview with Evan. I hope that you learned tons. I know that I did. It's uh, it's funny when you know guests are stupid enough to give me their cell phone number because after we get off, I'm always like, like I've been texting Evan all day. What about this? What about that? I sent him a PDF in my Dropbox of like my last poop test and like, hey, what do you think of this? What do you think of that? And uh, you know, I, I try to take it easy because he's not technically my my health coach, but uh, dude just knows so much about so many things about the human body and health. It's hard to resist. So thank you again for joining me. Don't forget to tune in Friday. And I will be in your eardrums real soon. Mm-hmm.